chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1 and go to verse 14. Let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing, not nothing, anything was made that was made in Him. In Him was the light, and the light was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it, has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, and who believe in his, his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the, the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, and the glory as, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This may seem like a very interesting passage as we are here Christmas morning. Uh, not a very familiar passage for us on Christmas morning. Most of the time when we come to Christmas, the two passages come out of Matthew or the, the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but this morning we're going to look at John's Gospel. The, the story before the story, if you will. Uh, the, 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 the writers of uh, the book of Matthew and Luke tell us the historical account of the, the, the Savior coming as a baby, the, the Jesus story, the Christmas story, if you will. Each account gives the account of the shepherds and the angels and Mary and Joseph and them running to where they needed to give, Jesus needed to be born. We hear about Jesus in the manger. But this morning, we're not going to look at the facts or the details of Christmas, but we're going to look at the meaning behind the facts. Because if all it is is just facts, without the meaning behind the facts, we can get lost in the tradition of Christmas. And so this morning we're going to look at the, the, the meaning behind the factual evidence. And so this morning's message is the Christmas story, uh, but the subtitle is The Word Became Flesh. That Jesus is the Word of God and He became flesh and dwelt among us. We'll look at three words this morning. In that one verse, verse 14, will be uh, the highlight of all the other verses, 1 through 14. Let me read it to us again. And the Word, underline that in your Bible, became flesh, underline that in your Bible, and dwelt among us. We'll look at that small phrase this morning on Christmas morning. So the three words we're going to look at is the Word, flesh, and dwelt. So what do those three words mean for us on Christmas morning? We'll start with the first word, the word. The word we see that John used here is very important. If you think about a person, you think when a person gives his word, it's really the substance of a person. You can know a lot about a person through observation, but until a person gives the word that who they are, uh, we really don't know much about the person. It's the clearest picture of the person, the words of a person. And so John uses this word word that these words are the word of christ is christ himself it'd be like this i, I go to starbucks 
just about every morning. It's a, a kind of a routine of mine. I get there about 5.30 and get the same drink, uh, unless it's a little warmer, but I get the same drink every time. And not too long ago, this past week, I was in Starbucks, and the lady behind the counter knew my name, which I've never spoken to the lady before, and I thought, that's a bad sign. You already know my name. I'm coming to Starbucks way too much. And then she said, oh, you're not getting your double shot this morning. I was like, you, you I, I come here too much. I've been spending way too much money in this place. And so we began to have a conversation, and she knows a lot about me. She knows I get there at about 5.30. She knows I sit in the corner booth. She knows I order a double shot. She knows that I dress fairly nicely. But she and I have never had a conversation. And she could tell you even my name, though I don't know her name because she reads it on a cup. And so she knows a lot of facts about me. But until she and I sit down and have an actual conversation, she won't know me. She won't know the reason I order a double shot. The reason I order a double shot is because Five o'clock in the morning is a bit too early to wake up, and I need a little extra wake-me-up. I order a double shot cold because it's even a, a more of a wake-up call when it's cold. I, I drink the coffee rather than anything else because I know in, a, in about 20 minutes I'm going to have to fight traffic, uh, and I hate fighting traffic. And so having cold on me helps uh, relieve the pressure of driving to Nashville. Uh, the reason I get up so early is because I don't want to fight the traffic. See, those are all the details that that lady behind the counter does not know about me. And so what God is saying through John is this. If you really want to know God, you must know his word. If you really want to know God as God the Father, you have to know God the Son, the word of God. And my great fear, I've preached this message before, so we won't uh, labor the point this morning. My fear is that we in the church, we know a lot of facts about God. We've done a lot of Bible drills, and we could point to a lot of stories in God's Word, but do we really know God? If you'll turn with me to John, uh, just a few verses, uh, chapters before, it says this, John chapter 5. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and scribes. They knew God's Word. They knew Scripture. They knew the Torah. They knew the Septuagint. They knew it inside and out. It says it's been said about the scribes and the Pharisees that if you took the Torah and you rolled it up and you drove a nail down through the Torah, that the Pharisees would know every word that it penetrated without even having opened the Torah up to read it because they knew the words of God so well. And that, yet this is what Jesus says to him in John chapter 5, verse 39. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He's saying to the Pharisees, you, you search the scriptures, you search the words on a piece of paper because in those words you think are, you have eternal life. And it says this, and it is they that bear witness about me. It's not this word that has life, but it's all the words that point to the word, Jesus, who gives us life. And so this Christmas day, when we come to this story, God gave us his word wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's the clearest picture to us about who God is. The word that John uses here to describe the word is the Greek word logos. It's where we get the word logic from. You want to know the logic of God, you look at Christ himself. Christ, God gave us 
God's most revealed self through uh, Jesus Christ. You talk about the evidences of God. We can look at the trees and we can see the evidence of God. We can see the wind and see the evidence of God. We can see the church and see the evidence of God. But the clearest picture of God's logic of who he is comes through the person of Jesus Christ, the word. And so this morning, for us, the question is this. Do you know God? Do you know the word of God? Or do you just know about God? Do you just know the facts about who Christ is? Or do you really know who Christ is? Do you really know God? Or do you just know facts about him? That's one of the reasons that we are uh, changed the curriculum in Sunday school. Because the new curriculum, every single story is pointing us back to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Every story in the Old Testament the ultimate hero is not Daniel, is not Moses, is not Noah, is not David, is not Solomon, but is Jesus Christ. And every story points us to the word, Jesus Christ. So do we know God or we do, do we know about God this morning? The second word that we'll see is the word flesh. I love that John uses this word, the word flesh. That God, when God decided to come to humanity, God pulled on skin. That God of the universe, in Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world, when he decided to come to be with us, he pulled on flesh. It's the most vulnerable place that you can be in your life, is a baby. You think about it, if, if even now, Cedar's two years old, but uh, I remember when he was first born, that he was the most vulnerable place he could ever be the moment he came out of the womb. And that when Christ decided to come and be with us, he became vulnerable as into a child. He could have showed up on the scene at 33 years old. He, he's God. He could, however he wanted to do, he could have showed up. But he decided to become vulnerable he pulled on skin not only did he become vulnerable he became weak he became dependent you see a baby is super dependent if you've ever had a baby you know that they don't care if it's two o'clock in the morning when they want what they want they're going to get what they want and that's how jesus showed up he showed up weak and not only that and god pulling on flesh and becoming vulnerable and becoming weak it leads us all the way to the cross. He became killable. You see, if Jesus had never pulled on skin, if God had never pulled on flesh and dwelt with us, he would have never been killable. He had to take on being weak and taking on flesh and being vulnerable to become killable for us. There's a story that happened in 1968 in New York City. A, a young lady is about 3 o'clock in the morning, and this young lady had just gotten off work and she was driving home and uh, this uh, crazy man began to follow her. Now in the, the late 60s, early 70s, New York City wasn't the safest of places. It's changed a lot in the last uh, 40 years or so. So this woman gets out of her car and this man gets out of her car and she notices that he's beginning to follow her. So she takes off down the street and the man, the young man takes off after her. And she gets almost to her door, to her uh, apartment to go upstairs to get into safety. And, and the man stabs her in the back two times. 
She begins to cry out for help over and over and over again. And she begins to notice as in she's in the courtyard of her apartment complex that lights begin to flicker on. And she begins to see silhouettes of people looking down at her being stabbed repeatedly, crying out for help over and over and over. And then the killer, when he saw the silhouettes and the lights, backed off and ran away and hid in a bush. And he waited there for a few minutes. And to his great surprise and his great crazy delight, no one came to the rescue of the young lady. And he came back and she was wounded severely. But it was in those final blows when no, no one came to her rescue out of her cry for help that she, her life was taken by the crazy individual. We could hear that story and think, man, wow, whoa. But the transition in that story is this. That in our most desperate moments, when we were being murdered, that's what it says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes what? To kill, steal, and destroy. That in our weakest moment, we begin to cry out for help. And what happens? God became flesh and dwelt among us. In our weakest moment, we cry out to a saving God, and he doesn't look out of his window and think, I can't get vulnerable. You see, what happened was those people in that day, when they looked out at the woman, they thought to themselves, if I go to rescue her, I could get killed myself. And so in their state of panic, their state of distress, they said, no way. And yet when Jesus Christ looked out at us at the very foot of the cross, he went all the way and said, I know what's going to happen to me, and I'm willing to take the, uh, the abuse from the killers to save them. You see, that's the important word in this text, that Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's the other uh, uh, just amazing part about Christ becoming flesh. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and hold that place back in John and we'll flip over another page to Hebrews chapter 4. But here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. This is another remarkable thing about Christ becoming flesh. Therefore he, Jesus, had to become like his brothers, you and me. In every aspect, highlight that in your Bibles. In every aspect, not some, not most, but every so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To what? Make propitiation. That just means a simple way, a buyback for our sins. He became the propitiation for our sin. The sins of the people. 18, this is important. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted Let's flip over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We'll start at actually verse 14. So since then we have a great high priest. The writer of Hebrews just mentioned Christ being the high priest. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession that he's Jesus Christ. 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our help of need. 
You see, the next thing when Jesus became flesh is this. He dwelt among us and he was tempted in every way. You talk about a man that knows sorrow. He knew sorrow. You, you talk about a man that knew abandonment. He knew abandonment. His closest friends abandoned him at his most important moments. Not only that, that, that his friends abandoned him, but it says on the cross, he cried out to God, God, why have you forsaken me? He knew what it meant to be abandoned. You, you see, without Christ pulling on skin and dwelling among us and becoming flesh, he would not be able to sympathize with us. You see, though Christ was 100% God, the crazy part is he's 100% man. And so he knew loneliness. He knew heartache. He knew pain. He knew what it was to be tempted. He knew the struggle. He knew it all. And the beauty of it was he did not sin. And so wherever you're at this morning, when God, through Christ Jesus, pulled on skin, he knows, not only does he physically know right where you're at not only emotionally does he know right where you're at not only spiritually does he know right where you're at he knows them all three because he himself has done all three you think about the people uh that, that give the greatest counsel if you will or give the greatest advice it's the people that have been through the struggle if for me to, to pull you outside and tell you how to be a farmer it would be ridiculous now, I can tell you how to live on the streets, but you don't want me to tell you how to break a horse. You want BJ or, or Ronald to tell you how to break a horse. I, I'd break it by killing it. That's the only way I'd know how to, how to do it. Like, we're going to ride it, so let's kill it. I'm not getting on a live horse. But if you were with me and there was a horse that was coming towards us, I, I hope if BJ with us, you would gravitate towards BJ because he's had the experience to deal with horses. I'm terrified of them. I'm hiding behind BJ. And yet Christ, in every way, can sympathize with us. Because of one word, he became flesh. He became flesh. He knows what we go through. The last word is this in closing. Not only in John 14 did the word, was it God's word? It became flesh. But underline this in your Bibles. The word dwelt. Of all the words that John could have used, he used this word. He could have used the word reside. He could have used the words hung out. He could have used uh, whatever words he wanted to describe God coming down as a baby to be with us. But he chose this one word, dwelt. And the reason this word is so important for the readers and for us this morning, the word dwelt means this, tabernacle. That when God decided to pull on skin, he became a tabernacle. Now, here's the significance of that. We'll go back. We won't this morning for time purposes. But the tabernacle was a very important thing in the Old Testament. If you remember back before the tabernacle, Moses went up on the hill to be with God. If you remember that, he wanted to see the glory of God. And so he went up on the, the, tab, up on the hill to be with God. And he has this conversation with God and says, God, I want to see your glory. And you remember what God said? He said, no, if you saw my glory, it'd be way too much. You would die. He said, so go hide in the rocks. And I'm going to pass through. And when I get near the end, I want you to turn and look at me. Because you can only really see the tail end of me without dying. And so Moses says that. And then it says that even in that moment, those brief moments, that when Moses came off the mountain, 
his face blue because of the glory of God. And so then the rest of the, the Old Testament is about Moses and all the patriarchs building a tabernacle. What for? So that the presence of God could dwell in their midst. If you remember, that's what the tabernacle was all about. The Holy of Holies is where God reside with his people. And it says that God became flesh and tabernacled with us. So two things we see, because Christ on Christmas became our tabernacle. The first one is this, that Jesus, because he pulled on skin, did away with religion altogether. You see, up until this moment, there was no personal relationship with God. That all of God's people had to go through the priest to have a relationship with God. That the priest would go into the tabernacle to offer sacrifice for their sins. And the moment Jesus comes up and Jesus dwells with us, he becomes our tabernacle and he does away with all religions. And now you and I, because he dwells with us, have a personal relationship to God the Father through Christ Jesus. That's the second thing he does when he becomes the tabernacle. God dwelling with us lets us now see the glory of God. Up until the moment of Christ's coming, we could not behold the glory of God. But now because Christ being with us and because of what we're going to celebrate in a few months at Easter, we now get to be with God. I don't need anyone else in the room to go on my behalf before God except Christ Jesus. I don't need you to go to God and ask for my forgiveness. I get to do that on my own. But that's what God did through his word, through pulling on skin and dwelling with us. It bridged the gap for us. Christmas is all about bridging the gap because in our sin, there was a great chasm that was made between us and God. And in the moment of Christmas, that chasm was shrank. And in the moment of Easter, it was done away with. If we place our hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, this story this morning is the culmination or the backdrop of the other two gospels like this is the backdrop this is the reasons that jesus had to come he had to come to be the word of god he had to come and he had to dwell with us and he had to come and he had to pull on skin to be with us that is what the christmas story is all about and so this morning on this christmas morning let us be reminded as we come to the lord's table we take this bread and we dip it into the wine let it be a reminder that this is the word of god that became flesh and dwells with us and dwells in you if you do not know jesus christ you do not know the word of god if you do not know jesus christ you do not know that he pulled on flesh on your behalf if you do not know christ this morning then you do not realize that he can dwell with you it's through us coming to the recognition that there is a great chasm between us and God. And we need a Savior. That's what Luke tells us. Unto you today, a child is born, a Savior to the world. Have you placed your hope and faith and trust into the Savior, Jesus Christ? Again, I'll say it again. There's no greater gift than you could receive this morning. Out of all the gifts you've opened so far, if you are not a believer, I would beg you to open the greatest gift that's been given to you this Christmas morning, that is Christ 
wrapped in swaddling clothes to do for you and for me what we could not do for ourselves, and that's save ourselves. We could not save ourselves. We needed the Savior of the world. Do we believe that this morning? As John comes up, and we'll just play, he'll play a song behind us. We're going to do the Lord's Supper a little differently this morning. I, as your pastor, would like to serve you the same way that Christ served his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that his body and blood was spilled out for you. And so I'll be up front with the bread and with the juice uh, and a cup. And just I'll have the bread in one hand and the juice in the other. Just as you feel led, just come up, pull a piece of bread off and dip it into the cup and go back to your seats and begin to reflect on the goodness of God this Christmas morning. Let us pray.